Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon today was preached in 1985 at the Interchurch Holiness Convention in Dayton, Ohio by John White. He titles the sermon, Build the House. I know you will enjoy this wonderful message. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on and on. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on and on. Doesn't matter what our name tag may be or where we reside, the thing is that we have the Holy Spirit abiding deep within our heart. We're cleansed from inbred sin and we're on our way to heaven in a day that's wicked. Stand with me, please, for a word of prayer before we bring the message tonight. We thank you, Father, for every song. We thank you for every word that has been uttered from this platform so far in this convention. We thank you above all because there was a day when the truth came our way and the Holy Spirit led us to a place where we were born from above. And then, Lord, the time came when we seen our need for a cleansing from the inbred nature. And God, you came again to our rescue and supplied that need. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And now, oh God, tonight we're thinking about building that building that you have asked us to build. God, we realize that there are many in the world today that are trying to build on things that will soon pass away. But help us as a conservative holiness movement to again go back to build on the principles that thou hast given us in thy word. We pray that thou would bless the message, the messenger, and the hearer. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I was contacted to preach, the subject was given to me of building the house. We are turning to Matthew chapter 7, reading verse 24 and 25. Matthew, the 7th chapter, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. There are many types of houses that we would have to build during our lifetime. There's the one that we live in physically, regardless if it's in the country, the town, or in the city. We're thinking about the houses that we build where we go to learn education. But I tonight would like to speak a little while about building the spiritual house, the house that God said unto Moses and then unto David and Solomon, build me a house that I might dwell among the people. I'm so glad to tell you that God left this responsibility to those who he could trust, a people who knew him and knew that he was able to perform that which he asked. Before any 
one would build a house, there are several things that have to be settled. The first one is the cost of the building. And in Luke 14 and verse 28, it tells us before a man would build a tower, he should sit down and count the cost and see if he has the means of finishing it. I am aware of the fact that in this day and age in which you and I live, that the cost of building the physical house has gone up. But I also remind you that the cost of building the house for God has also gone up. For we find that there is much compromise and we find that there is much worldliness and we find that there's a lot of letting down. But if you and I are going to be what God wants us to be and serve him the way he wants us to serve him, there still is a price tag for being an old-time second-blessing holiness people. The Bible tells us that if we are of the world, that the Holy Spirit cannot be ours. But we must be not of the world, even as Jesus Christ himself is not of the world. Now, we do not become not of the world in a second work of grace, but in the first work of grace. When you are born again, the sin question is settled once and for all. We do not believe in a sinning religion. But you and I must count the cost in the building of our churches. Are we going to keep the world out and keep God in? Are we going to keep the spirit moving? Or are we going to give in to the trends of the time in which we live? There is a cost to pay if you and I are going to be what God wants us to be. The second thing is the location of that building. And in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, the Lord tells us where we should build inside the straight gate on the narrow road. There are too many folks that are trying to build outside the straight gate near to that broad road that leads onto destruction. You'll find, friend, that if you want God to move in your midst and you want God to bring the blessing that he would bring, then we must build where God is. For God is not out there in the styles of the day and age in which we live and the customs and the traditions of men. But God has given us a location. He said, enter in at the straight gate. He said, go in and travel the narrow road. For this is the way that leads on to life everlasting. The foundation of the building also must be considered. And in Matthew 7, 24, we find that Jesus gave us the foundation of building a house that would stand the storm. He said there was a wise man who heard his sayings and did them. I'm afraid a lot of us can say we've heard the sayings of Christ. But there are so few that are practicing what Jesus Christ taught that has to be practiced. Now, if you will consider this particular passage of Scripture that I have read to you tonight, you will find that it has come in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, when he said that the wise man built upon the sayings, he was talking about the sayings that he gave in particular in this Sermon on the Mount. And I found that there is a sevenfold plan for building given to us by Jesus Christ here in the Sermon on the Mount. The first one I would bring to your attention is found in Matthew 5, 1 to 12. We are to build the building 
in the blessing of God. There's nothing more that can attract a world out there that's tired of the cheap entertainment of sin, that's tired of the thrills of the flesh that does not last, the pleasures of the world that will soon pass away, than to see a group of people that have the blessing of God that comes down from heaven and springs up within their soul and is manifested in their daily living. I could not give you all of the Beatitudes tonight, but I could tell you five things that will bring blessing in the day and age which we live, as Jesus Christ said. He said in verse 3 that we had to be poor in spirit or have humility. When any time we build with a pride that honors and exalts man and does not honor and exalt Jesus Christ, we will not have the blessing of God. Every church must be Christ-centered. I believe in the saints getting blessed. But I believe that we can be able to get blessed when we're really right with God, singing, Jesus, lover of my soul, or I need thee every hour, or rock of ages clever for me. I don't think we need the frills of this whole world that has been attached to the music to try to stir up our emotions. I believe the Lord wants to bless us with a blessing that goes beyond our emotions. Something that will be just as real when we're in the valley as when we're up on the mountaintop. Something that works when we're afflicted just as well as when we're well. I believe that you and I must have a humility among us that we are subject to the will of God and anything he wants. There's nothing wrong in being poor in spirit when you realize that he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. There comes a blessing when we lay low at his feet and look up into his wonderful face. Again, I bring to your attention that in verse number 5, he talks about blessing in being meek or submissive or easily controlled or managed by God. One thing that God terribly dislikes is the fact of an individual that becomes stubborn and self-willed. And if we're not careful, many times we will build our building on a stubborn, self-willed type of an attitude. It has to be this way. It must go our way. And if it doesn't go our way, we won't give anything to it. We won't work anything on it. And we'll draw ourselves aside. But friend, if we're going to build in the blessing, you and I are going to have to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, have your way. We'll follow you every step of the way. You've never led anybody astray and you won't let us astray. You've never asked anybody too much that you haven't given the strength to fulfill what you have asked. What a wonderful blessing to build on the meekness that comes from a consecrated heart to God. In verse number 8, he talks about getting blessed because of having a pure heart. There is no substitute for heart purity. I want you to know that. Education cannot pure the heart. The programs of this age cannot bring purity to the heart. But I'm glad to tell you that the blood that flows from Calvary can still cleanse from every spot and take away all unrighteousness and make you and I pure in the sight of God till God will bless us because of that purity. 
And then again in verse number 9, he said that if we want the blessing of God, we're going to have to build in peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're living in a day of quarrels and divisions and everything else. But the real Christian still is a peacemaker. Praise his name. We have found the Prince of Peace. And if we are numbered with him, we must be a peacemaker. For he is the one that gives peace, that passeth all understanding. I'm glad that even in this day of differences, and there will be differences, that you and I can have a relationship with God, that we can have lived at peace with our brother and our sister despite that difference and have the blessing of God on our soul when everything seems to be going contrary to what we think it should go. Then he talked in verse 10 about being blessed in persecution. Many of the churches were built in persecution. They had some nasty names for the wholeness crowd when I was a little boy. You see, I've never gone to any other church but the wholeness church. Mother carried me there as a little baby, and I've been in the wholeness church now for more than a half a century. And I want you to know something tonight, friend, that the same persecution back there that brought the blessing will bring the blessing today if we'll keep in the center of God's will. The Bible said that we should not become a friend of the world for... Being a friend of the world is enmity against God. And when you're not a friend of the world, there's going to be a conflict with the world. But praise God, in the midst of the conflict, there is a glory that comes down from heaven, a fire that burns on the soul that a lot of people don't know anything about in this terrible day in which we live. The second thing, he said we must build with spiritual responsibility. Matthew 5, 13 and 16. We should never forget that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. When we are building our building, we are there to put a good taste into that neighborhood. I know sometimes because we're conservative and because of our standards of dress, there's a lot of folks do not realize that they still must have something that goes out into the area around the church where they are. And friend, they don't want to hear about the fussings and the fighting. That doesn't bring anybody in. They can find that out down at a bar room someplace. But you and I are the salt of the earth that sends out to them a sweet smelling savor. The Bible tells us in the book of Songs of Solomon that the north wind came and blew over the garden and carried out the spices over the wall to the world around. There's nothing more that will build your church when the town knows that your people are a happy people and your people are a peaceful people and your people are a blessed people and your people love each other. And you can give a taste out there in that world that the world can never give in anything that it promotes. And in the darkness of the age in which we live, thank God there is a light, a light that still shines brighter than all the darkness. And if we'll keep our lamps trimmed and burning, you and I are able to rescue somebody in this last day. If I thought the days of revival were over, if I felt, my friend, that God had abandoned the ship, I wouldn't be out preaching as an evangelist. But I'm happy to tell you that I know that the light of God still penetrates the darkness of this whole age in which we live. And God is able to give us an outpouring of his spirit like he has never given before. Why hang your head low, trim your lamp and put the lamp up bright and let the world know you're a happy Christian. Quit moaning and complaining every time you testify. Get up with something that's real and something that's good and tell the world that God's on your side and he's hearing and he's answering prayer. 
that God has never changed. Praise his name forever. Let your light shine before this sin-cursed world. Tell them you have something better than they ever have. You found the, the, the fairest among the 10,000, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, and let his beauty go out from you to a world that's tired of the sin and the age in which they live. The third thing he tells us to build on is in Matthew 5, 23 to 26, in Christian unity. He said, when you go to pray at the altar and you remember that one of your brothers has ought against you, go to that brother and be reconciled to him. I can remember in the yesteryears when people had differences, how God would melt them down and people would go to each other and ask forgiveness and men would embrace men and women would embrace women and tears would begin to flow and pretty soon the things that were so big weren't big at all and pretty soon the things that hurt weren't hurting so much when they had everything reconciled. Friend, the Bible says the house that's divided among itself will fall. We dare not go to church to take pot shots at each other. We may not agree with each other on everything but brother and sister there's more to going to church than to seeing if we can wound somebody and hurt somebody the Bible tells us according to Paul's writing that the very purpose of going to church is to edify the saints and build them up in the most holy faith there's nothing better than a testimony that's set on fire from heaven and a shout that rings clear through and a prayer that will break through to the throne and a message that will have God in it till the saints begin to pray and praise and pray to heal that which is causing so much trouble in a lot of our midst. I say, friend, it's time for us to get back to one more time of building in Christian unity. The fourth thing I bring to your attention is found in Matthew 5, verse 28 to 45. We must build with a godly relationship. He starts off by saying the man that looketh at the woman to lust in his own heart committed adultery already. The very look with the wrong motive behind Behind it is sin in the sight of Jesus Christ. There must be a relationship towards each other. I remind you that when Saul got very jealous of David because he heard the maiden sing of the, that he only slain his thousands while David his ten thousand, the Bible tells us very plainly from that time on he began to eye David. He had something in that look towards David saying, I want to get even with you. Give me the chance and I'll take care of it. I'll get rid of you. And you know, Oh, there's so many people like that and we're trying to build a church. They want to get rid of this one and get rid of that one and throw this one out and throw that one out and let's have this and let's have that. Friend, let's get them to an altar of prayer, get the meeting uh, house straightened out and have a relationship that God wants us to have a relationship within the house of God. And then he went on a little farther and he talked about that relationship to those that are outside of the church. And I'll tell you if there's anything going to convince people that old time holiness is real is when our saints start turning the other cheek and giving also the cloak and going the extra mile. They'll not find that out there in the worldly crowd. They'll not find that out there among those that are covetous and greedy. They'll not find that in that modernistic crowd that's out to build up a little fortune from themselves. But when that man or woman will take the loss personally and then turn the other cheek and go that extra mile, you'll find that people will start again to want to come to our church services. They'll say, there's a people that care about us. There's a people that understand a few things. There's a people that can put up with a few things. 
And unless we get to that place where our godly relationship is that which convinces the world that as Jesus Christ stood dumb before his shearers, so can we also offer unto our enemies food to feed them and go a little farther than they'll go and add a little more than they'll add. We're going to see revival sweeping our midst again. Till then, it will never happen. The fifth thing I bring to your attention, we must build through spiritual worship. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 11. He starts out with fasting. Then he goes to uh, giving. And then he goes to fast, uh, praying. And then the fasting. The three essentials of good spiritual religion. Friend, I'm afraid that too many of our people do what they do for earthly praise. And the Bible said that when we build on earthly praise, that the same voices that praise us will also be the same voices that turn around and condemn us. We do not worship God to be seen of men. We do not have our long prayers that we might be heard of men. We have our secret closet where we pray through and get out of that closet and go to the meeting house at night and let God reward us openly with no individual in particular getting the glory for just the fact that somebody behind the scenes had reached God and God was now honoring that person by bringing a great reward in the open service. It's not a selfish type of praying for he taught us that great model prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. It never was I, it never was I. It was always Lord, our Father and deliver us. And it was inclusive. Oh, some of our people spend all their time taking care of themselves. You can't build on yourself, my friend. You don't have the power. You can't have a selfish attitude and expect to win the lost. We have to start to include others in our prayer. If we'll get to the place where we don't have to spend so much time on ourselves we can spend a little time on someone else and then when our fasting takes place we wipe our face and come out so that others don't see that we're in misery doing it that could go a lot of ways you know I dress this way because the church believes it and we put on a, a, an old frown about it. If it wasn't for the church, I'd get rid of this long hair. It, it's just a bother. And, and the daddy will say, if it wasn't for my prestige, I'd miss prayer meeting. That go in the prayer meeting all the time. And the little ones are standing by listening to mom complain about her hair and dad complain about going to church. And when they get to the age where they can make their own decision, they quit going to church. And pretty soon they quit keeping the standards they were brought up with because mom and dad never enjoyed doing them. Aren't you glad that you can get a salvation down in your heart that will give you as much joy lining up to God as you did when you went out into the world. And as far as you went into the world, you'll go that far with God. I just preached a message in one revival not too long ago where God said to the Old Testament prophet, he said, as you were a curse, so will I make you a blessing. Praise God that he's able to take us from one side and bring us to the other side. And if we could shout for the old world and shout for the things of the world, thank God we can shout for Jesus Christ and have the fire burning and the bubbles bubbling in our soul. We need to build, friends, on a scriptural worship. There's too much of I... There's too much promotion of me in a lot of our spiritual worship. Friend, Christ must be the center of our worship. We don't go together to be seen of man. We go to see him. Where the Holy Spirit will make him real. Listen, I have tests and I have trials and I have burdens. God knows what's down the road and around the bend. And listen, I may not agree with somebody's hat or something else they have on. But listen, when I come to the test and the trial, there's no power for me to overcome to be critical and watching that other person's individual dress. But if I go to church and fill up and let God fill me up, 
trial. When I come to that test of the trial, I'll go sailing through it. There'll be something on the inside that'll keep me on top. Too many of our folks aren't on top. That's what the trouble is. The six things he says build on eternal interest. Matthew 6, 18 to 21. Laying treasures up in heaven where the rust can't corrupt, the moth can't eat, and the thieves cannot steal away. While we're building our church, our Christian life, we must never lose sight of the goal. I hear a lot of people, and they're all right, and they mean good, but Paul gives us a different picture. They'll say, if there never was a heaven, I'm so glad I got started. It's been so good. That's fine. But Paul said, if the only hope we have is in this world, we're most men miserable. Jesus Christ has saved us so that someday he might stand inside the gate and welcome us in and say, well done, thou good and faithful service. And we must lay our treasures up there. Lay them up there so that when we come to the graveyard, not everything's left behind. Not everything's down here on earth. Not everything's here for somebody else to have part in. But we'll go into the treasures that's on the other side to reign with Jesus Christ forevermore in his abiding power. Last but not least, we must build on divine dependency. For in Matthew 7, 7 to 13, he talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. Friend, we depended on the world too much. We depended on man too much, and they failed us. We depend on our denomination sometimes, and it fails us. But there's one that knows what need we have before we ask it. And he's promised that we, if we will ask, that if we will seek, and if we will knock, that he won't hold anything that's good back from you and I. Oh, when I look at the needs of our churches, I was startled the other week. I was reading about the Holy Spirit, and I wanted to see some things the Holy Spirit does. And I know the New Testament tells us that he leads us, and he guides us, and he teaches us, and he witnesses to us. And the Holy Spirit tells us that he anoints us, and so forth. But I went back to the Old Testament and they were going to build the temple. And they had some masonry work and nobody to do it. And the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came on one man and gave him the ability that he could do the masonry work and get it done. Do you think we're missing some things in our churches? Do you think we're going to the wrong resource when we should be going to him? Do you think that our asking isn't in earnest and our seeking isn't in earnest and our knocking isn't in earnest that there seems to be so much of a need among us. God help us, friend, to build on a dependency on Jesus Christ. May I conclude? He says three things in this Sermon on the Mount that warns us with a tragic warning. Matthew 7, 13, where they avoid the snare of worldliness. He said there's a broad road that many go in that leads to destruction. I have an old book in my library at home called Miss Church and Mr. World. They started going together one day, and it wasn't long till Miss Church became like Mr. World. You see, friend, we're to go into all the world, but we're never to be a part of that world. You and I are to go to every extent of the world to preach the gospel, but we must be kept from the evil that's in that fire. You and I better be careful. We may get the crowds by letting down the bars, but that crowd that we'll get aren't the prayers. They're not the shouters. They're not the 
fasteners. They're not the burden bearers. All they come for is what they get. They never give. Don't let anybody trick us as a holiness movement to say the standard's too high and the way's too straight. But let us get to the place and ask God to give us some joy in our heart to keep the standard and to travel in the way so they'll make it safe in. Matthew 7, 15 to 23, he warned us of religious deceivers who we'd know by their fruit. The world's filled with religious deceivers out there on every hand. There's a lot of our folks have left the Holiness Church and they've gone to other churches because of the noise and the emotion and the liveliness. Now, why didn't they get that at our church? The reason is simple. The place they went has no heart purity with it. It has no separation from the world. I was looking up the difference between a thrill and a blessing one time. Mr. Webster says, thrills are a sensation of the flesh, while blessings come of the soul. Oh, I don't want to just be thrilled in this last day. I just don't want to be tickled in this last day. I don't want something that's false to have to build up an emotion in me. I want that which comes down from the throne of heaven that's going to last for all time and all eternity to keep me in the will of God. In Matthew 7, 26, he said, There was a foolish man who also heard his sayings and did them not, built his house upon the sand, and the storm came, and the house fell flat. He didn't say he didn't hear it. He said he didn't do it. You and I are not just building on what we heard. We're building on what we do with what we heard. Putting it into everyday practice. There are some people that hear the message camp after camp and revival after revival and go home and forget all about it. Just say amen in some of our churches and the preacher could have preached on hell or the judgment before and people start to laugh as if they had just come out of some place of amusement. God help us, friends. Let's not build on the sand. Oh, I know about it, preacher, but remember... The apostle Paul said, he that knoweth the good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And the wages of sin is death. Christ has a blueprint for us to build in 1985. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's build there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Keep passing it on.